Welcome to episode 10 of our Smoko, the podcast whose buoyancy keeps us all afloat. In this episode, what makes you happy and how important is workplace well-being? We'll be finding out more about that and the purpose of the industry-leading Seafarers Happiness Index. Stephen Jones earns himself a new nickname after he shares a startling tale about laying cables in Bermuda. And now that mercury is finally rising and summer is almost here, we've been giving some thought to what constitutes our favourite summer tipple. For seafarers, it's all about the dirty beer. It's the teenager to smoko dirty beers <laughs> and it's the it's the it's the adolescent teenager so come quarter five everyone runs off the deck puts everything away and then um you race up with your boiler suit on obviously all very dirty from a hard day's work obviously australian sweaty beers no it's dirty beers because you are covered and then you nip into the bar grab a big a bucket of beers and then all the boys would be down on the poop deck or around the swimming pool and you'd sit there and you'd just chat away about shit life wait 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 wait. poop deck poop 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 arse end as we also used to call it the back the back okay Okay. So it depends on the type of ship you're on. Obviously, when you're on one of these big ULCC container ships, mm. it doesn't work the same way. But And I'm sure they don't have dirty beers the same way. So you'd sit down there on the bollards, on the ropes, and that was quite romantic in itself. And people <laughs> would just chat away and swing the lantern and, and, and talk about whatever it may be. But it, it was also a, a day, oddly enough, you're watching the ship, Steve, you, you're watching the past, because you're watching the wake no. you're watching and and That's it's a time of, it is it is it's a really nice time of day and i think most seafarers if there's anything they miss is the dirty beers and you'd mm. crack a few and then there'll be all sorts of games that you know as as, as the hour reveled on um you know boys would be boys and you'd end up putting a glass bottle on the stern light and trying to uh, shotgun shoot it by throwing another bottle in it it, it oh. could end up in being quite <laughs> raucous and then you'd quickly look at your watch and you'd realize that you've only got five minutes to literally get out of your boiler suit run upstairs cover yourself in swarfiga get rid of the oil get showered up have a shave at the same time as swarfiga in and get back down to the officer's mm-hmm. mess for i think it was 1800 1800 is that about right? 1830 might have been. I can't remember. Uh, so this was like a happy hour for the sailors. And dirty beers are, you know, it can get quite sad sometimes. People talk about, you know, open up and mm. and, and and talk about Team things. That they yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's when the seafarers is most, probably is most fun, can be is most vulnerable okay. and talk about things. And, you know, it's a happy time, but it's a reflective time each mm. day. And, you know, you're still at sea and clearly you're seeing it because the only thing you can see, Louise, is just ocean and a big white line in the, in, in the sun, in the water where the ship's been. So it can be a bit reflective. And obviously, if you put in the old uh, anxiety juice down your neck, um, <laughs> it, 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 can, it can play a little bit on the mind. And then obviously you've had all of this 
heightened excitement with a few beers and then the next thing is you have dinner and then you lock your door and you're behind the door on your own and or you have or you have clean beers after dinner it's a couple a couple of things that actually uh, came came out of that as you as you talked about it you talked about the boys being you know uh, uh, out on the poop deck and having a beer and you also talked about an unmanned machinery space, which is interesting mm-hmm. because it is actually, there used to be an acronym, UMS, Unmanned Machinery Space. But of course, it's not all about men anymore. It's not all about the boys anymore. And and and, and so that's one thing that I think that's changed is that the, it's uh, that, that we're looking at a, a different sort of seafaring population. Mm-hmm. And still not changed enough, but, you know, a different seafaring mm-hmm. population. And of course, the other thing that's missing is the beer. So I'm, I'm, so I'm thinking about, okay, so how do they, you know, that, that moment of reflection, contemplation, whatever it is, that, that social, social component, what's happening about that today? And, and, and happily, we've got an expert in the Seafarers Happiness Index chat. Hey, hey. Tell us, oh, tell us a little oh, bit about oh, 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 what's going on. Yeah, I, I, that, was almost, that, was almost, that was almost Mike. slick. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen yeah. Jones. Well, quite, yes. Um, I mean, you're right. I mean, what you say in there, it's actually about the the time and space to talk and, you know, the opportunity to share. And I think one of the things, you know, there's lots of initiatives going on in the industry and trying to encourage seafarers to be able to, to talk more, to even have, uh, what do they call it, mental health champions on board, etc. But as Stu says, you know, it's the opportunity to talk. It's having mm. that safe space and feeling like you want to open up. So you can have as many kind of imposed mechanisms meant to improve mental health and well-being. But if you don't have the space, time, and don't feel like it, then it's very hard to actually do so. So I think that's one of the issues that we're juggling with at the moment. And that comes across when we, we talk to seafarers about their happiness, about their well-being, which is about being well and what that means and how it translates. I mean, when I get the responses, it comes across in the survey and it's just a big Excel spreadsheet with thousands of kind of <laughs> the, the hearts and minds of seafarers opened up raw wow. in front of you. And some of it is pretty, uh, yeah, there's uh, a few F-bombs dropped mm. and a few kind of strong views. But equally, you know, it's people sharing and talking. And I think Stu's completely right. That's what people need knowing that they can turn to someone and that they'll listen and they can share things and all of a sudden you feel a little bit better about stuff. So, so what does happen on board now? Because if you're saying that previously when you were all at sea, for example, you had this decompressed time, this time that you could come together with your colleagues, what happens now if, if dirty beers is no longer a thing? How do people come together on board and how do you foster that sense of, of you know, having each other's backs, I suppose, working as a team and, and growing those bonds mm. between people. Because I think that's what we all need in a workplace, isn't it? But I, I'm assuming that that's like magnified significantly when you're away at sea. You really need to be able to get on with the people you're with and feel part of the team with them. Oh, and in an ideal world, yeah, everyone, you, everyone's brilliant. Uh, your mates, it's fun, it's fantastic. But the mm. chances and likelihood of getting that are very few and far between, you know, and that's the, the you walk up the gangway with your bags, never fully knowing what it's going to be like. Who's going to be on board? Are the people you sailed with before that you liked and you know get on with? 
or is there that horrible third engineer that you, you, you really didn't want to see from last time? And, you know, you don't know what you're walking into. <laughs> or, or you don't want to see the chef who's called Mince Milligan. I think Steve's point's really, it, it's really interesting. Steve, who created the, uh, the questions? And the reason why I ask that, it's often a survey's as good as the question. Yeah. And, uh, and, I wonder a simple question, uh, and I know I know Mike's answer to this, but how many of our generation are still very good friends to the point of brotherhood with some of the seafarers that we sailed with when we first started sailing, compared to the guys now? Mm. And going back to Louise's point, linking back there, there's a there's a lot of people I am still socially involved with, and I you know, or or, or just keep in contact with. And then there's a, a very tight group that are you know, as I said before, they're not friends; they're they're brothers. I wouldn't choose them uh, <laughs> again. Um, um, and that is all part of this index. They 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 make they make me happy hopefully i make them happy although they've never said it and uh, the the i think that's lost you know so you've t- yeah. you've ripped out a, a huge vein in in that relationship relationship building and if it, all of a sudden it becomes like an airline pilot where he doesn't know anybody when he turns up in the morning executes his job and goes home well, he's only doing it 24 hours at best these we're talking about guys going away for four, five, six, seven, eight, nine months at a time. This is a lo- this is suddenly become a very, very lonely job. And and my next point was: Do you ask them how they feel when they're at home, or do you only ask how they feel when they're on the ship? Yeah, um, the the questions came about. I, I came up with it. It was my bright idea, so I take the blame. But um, the questions came about basically. I was doing some work with a social network for seafarers at the time called Crew 2. And we were looking at um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So if, for those who are or not aware of it, Do basically tell. a kind of what human beings need to survive and then also to thrive. So it's like a, a pyramid of various things you need. So at the bottom, things like, you know, fresh water, food, etc., through to various wonderful things at the top such as self-actualization which I'm not sure I self actually understand but um, so so we thought well they're the hierarchy of needs that we all have as humans now more specifically what are the seafarers hierarchy of needs what do they look at what do they need and what affects them so we came up with 10 questions 10 questions because at the time we were doing it on the cheap in survey monkey and 10 was free so um <laughs> you know um so the 10 questions and it's from general happiness through to connectivity shore leave wages food um, entertainment and kind of fitness on board, uh, training, the interactions that they have on board, workload, and then access to welfare support. And, and within that, it seems to cover most of the angles. And sometimes people take it in different ways and talk about it slightly differently, but it just encourages them to talk and share and, and you know, hopefully the mechanism of sharing helps a little. But equally, you know, where they flag up concerns, then we can talk about them and hopefully get some change. 
Um, one of the things that came across a couple of years ago was the fact that so many ships were quite sterile environments. The, the actual furnishings, et cetera, on board were just getting more like hospitals than places to live and thrive. And so that was something talked about. And I've seen a few projects that have been focusing back on making ships a bit nicer places yeah. to be. So that just, was good. Just, yeah. You don't want to live in a place that just needs to be hosed down at the end of the day. <laughs> oh, yeah, not anymore. So it's, it's a bit like that, yeah. I, I've got a big thing here, and it's a bit of a hump that I've carried around with me for a long time about shipping. Well, you're in the right group, Stu. <laughs> and, 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 and shipping companies. And I understand, you know, with some reservation, why they took away the, the bar and the alcohol and that, that camaraderie that disappeared with it. But come on, guys, if you're going to take one thing away, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out you need to put something in its place. Yeah. And, and, and they have not. And I'll give a perfect example. The gym. Not, not, you're not forcing everyone to, have a, uh, to go to the gym. You weren't forcing everybody to have a beer. But you're giving them an alternative and you're giving them an area to, um, to, to I'm not going to say meditate, but get away from things, improve themselves, feel good about themselves. Have yeah. you ever been in a ship's gym? Even a hamster would be dis disgusted with it. It is absolutely <laughs> pathetic. It looks like they've gone on eBay and found anything from 1962. You know, it's got it's got spring chest expanders and anything pathetic like that. Surely the ship owners have a moral obligation to think this through every day. How do we improve the ship? And I hear this money, absolute bumcum. It's it's. Bullshit. It ain't going to cost you a lot of money. I, but on that point, um, Steve, we were talking about this the other day. And didn't you raise the point that actually productivity is better when people are happy? I mean, <sighs> it, it's not rocket science, is it? People are going to yeah. work better when they get along and they feel like they are valued. I, I mean, it's like employment I mean, ABC, isn't it? If experience teaches us anything, it's that, you know, Happy people do things better. And I think there's, there's certainly a load of studies assure that that kind of, I think there's an Oxford University one that says uh, happier people are 13% more productive. Now, the problem with ships, of course, is what is productive? Are you productive if you just don't have a collision? Or are you, you know, you're mm. not going to get the ship somewhere faster necessarily. So it's a bit hard sometimes to say, you know, what productivity actually is in those yeah. terms. But yeah, it's, you know, happy people happy ship these you know this is what we should be aspiring to because i think it's absolutely the most fundamental question you can ever ask in a relationship is are you happy and you know no one's ever left a job or a situation because they're too happy so i think you know from a recruitment and a retention perspective it's absolutely paramount and, and Stu, you're completely right you know they've just kept taking things away and nothing ever gets put back in its place. And I, I worry so much about the, re the responsibility being put on the shoulders of these new social champions or, or mental health, whatever they're calling it. You know, is that going to become a job for someone? And what gives them the right qualifications? How do, how do they cope with their mental health being mm. put in that position with all the responsibility? It used to be, you know, the likes of the purser or the radio officer they had the space and time to try and make life a bit better on the ships. Agreed. And now we haven't got that. But what do we have? It's so difficult. 
I, 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 Steve, I, I pick up on your point about someone being given a title on the ship. Don't they love giving us all new titles? Do you remember mm. the environmental officer mm. or, or, or the safety officer? All, all well and good and understood. It's a responsibility. And, and, you know, I never want to kick the ship owner. You know, without the ship owner, we don't have ships. We don't have a lifestyle. We don't have a market. And, mm. and I'm, I'm a great supporter of the ship owner. But sometimes someone's got to stand up to him and hit him with a wet fish. You don't just give a title to somebody and say, hey, you're the mental health officer mm. and then put them on a 24 hour training course or even now CBT and do it via computer. We've I think this all circles back, Louise. There was empathy, although it came in a very raw manner in banter. Mm. There was a human mm. touch to when we went to sea. It was romantic. And I know many years later we've forgotten all the bad and you know all of that washes out with time Mm. yeah but but it's definitely a it was definitely it would definitely be what i would do again a hundred percent i may choose the different type of ships a a different (laughs) type of ship but um i i think it is so sterile you know they are treating the seafarer like that sterile piece of furniture we need three sofas we need two wheels we need a gps and we need a mental health officer yeah if i'm I'm being completely honest about possibly one of the things i'm most ashamed about of my time at sea was one trip and this young guy he was a cable engineer i was on cable ships and um he was in the cabin next door to me and i was on the uh, four to eight watch so i was asleep in my bunk and must have been for about three weeks every night this guy was just crying 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 in his cabin and then and uh, unfortunately selfish and awful as it is my kind of overriding thoughts were often i wish he'd shut up um because you you were dealing with your own difficulties and challenges and every morning i was waking up at four o'clock absolutely hanging out because I was so tired because every night was the same thing um and but there was not you know what do you do that's that's it you you there's a little element of kind of self-preservation in all of this as well and you know I don't know whether I could have helped or you know I certainly know I should have tried to help but I didn't it was that overriding sense of oh my god not again not this and that was, you know, that was a horrible situation, <laughs> more so for him. But, you know, it was difficult. I think wow. I think picking up on that, Steve, which is really sad, I, 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 I wouldn't like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he, he won't be too upset. But I, I asked the question, why do we ask, I asked the question, do we ask the question about how the seafarers are feeling? when they're ashore never mind when they're at sea i believe a seafarer when he goes to sea has this amazing veneer as soon as you get that ticket at the check-in desk you suddenly change your personality changes your mindset changes you just got to get on with the job and i think you 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 become quite a hard exterior character Mm -hmm. but when they go home those exteriors drop and i recently witnessed something that i thought i'd never see in my life having a good few, um, and it was actually white wines, actually. It was a, a lovely sunset. <laughs> Many of them, 13, if I remember rightly, oh, over a long, long night, talking <clears> to <throat> one of my very, very close seafaring buddies and um, reminiscing about the old days. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, he started crying. 
And he, you know, he's way past his 50s now. And I didn't really know what to do because I'd known him for so long, like 35 years I've known him. And thankfully, he, he opened up, so I didn't have to ask that awkward question, what's wrong? And um, he's constantly thinking when he's at home on leave about going away. Mm. constantly thinking about it he's got a young daughter happily married life's good and he's missing those milestones of her life just by sheer unfortunate luck you know he's away for this or he's away for the mm. prom he's away. and i think they're more disturbed and that they're most vulnerable seafarers when they're on leave not when they're on the ship mm. and what and what are we doing about that because we don't care as soon as they've paid off. They're done. As soon as they go down the gangway, they're not a seafarer, they're not on the crew list, and the mental health officer is not interested. But that's your danger zone. I think, yeah. I think, we've, all, I think we've all probably heard the observation that you don't actually get back until a, number, a, time, a period of time after you've actually arrived. You don't actually get, you're not actually back until that time's elapsed. And you also leave um, weeks before you go. Um, because it's simply that what's going on in your head. At least certainly I've had that said about me you know, during my during my seafaring time that yeah. you're not. And um, yeah, yeah, I can, yeah, I can remember. There, there, actually, there yeah. was an article, Mike, on that point, uh, and it was certainly you know it was a way ahead of its time. It was in the '90s, and it must have been late '90s. And, and I was actually just I was pretty early on in my marriage, and it came out and it said that um, most marriages seafaring marriages break down irreparably in the last two weeks of leave and that's because the seafarer is mentally unbeknown to him he's mm. mentally separating and starts to build that big veneer back up again ready for the departure and mm. obviously the wife doesn't know this obviously the more experienced ones do oh he's a real twat in the last two weeks um <laughs> more than more so than he normally is um and yeah, I think for me, there's a lot of people focusing on the seafarer at sea, mm. but what is going on when he's ashore and then picking up the pieces when they do leave and they go ashore, you know, we just, you jump out of this, this institutionalized structured lifestyle and then you just drop kick to shore either by choice or, mm. or not by choice. And you've got to get on with civilian life. Wow. Yeah, it's absolutely. so interesting listening to you talking about your experiences and I've said it before and it makes me think the same thing again you know being away at sea is has so many parallels with serving in the forces I was mm. interviewing um, veterans earlier this week and you know they were all talking about how you know the bond of brotherhood the sense of having each other's backs when you're actually out there together and it's when you come back and you lose that, it's like a bereavement. You've lost mm. your closest buddies. You've lost your sense of structure. Your, your kind of, this is what I do today. This is my mm. routine. This is my structure. You've lost all of that and you come home. And so often that's when the mental health crisis hits. But, you know, it might not be immediately. It might be five, 10, 15 years later for, for some of the, the veterans, certainly that I was talking to. But there are huge parallels, aren't there? Um, Louise, you've hit the nail on the head and I've, I've experienced it. I think I'm ashore now for, I think I'm coming up to 17 years now ashore. And you think you've gone, you know, you think, you, I saw my stripes the other day and I was thinking, wow, you know, that's a long time since they were on. But you're <laughs> absolutely right that when you become normal, 
that's very difficult to yeah. um, uh, to deal with. And and maybe not so much akin to the military, but the seafarer is addicted to adventure. And when you rip that adventure away from him and he realizes he, he's normal, the same as everybody else, that can mentally destabilize you. Not necessarily from a, a negative point of view, but it can throw you out of out of uh, out of kilter. And I, I've I've probably experienced this a little bit more in the last three or four years. You know, constantly seeking out adventure is just you know. At some point, you've got to slow down, and at some point, you've got to stop. And I was speaking to a very good friend of mine, um, shoreside friend, and he's been watching it for. a the last decade with me and he said that you know he basically came out and said i think there's something wrong and he was right he was right he was right all along and that veneer had, had been polished you know been eroded away over the last 17 years and i wonder i'm quite resilient and i, I and i i don't mind dealing with it but how many feel a little bit more um embarrassed how do they feel, you know, a, a week about it? And, and, and um, yeah, I think, I think we've got a lot of things to deal with with seafarers. And mm. it's always been there, but I think it'd be more topical and a little bit more open for them to talk about it as humans. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Hmm. And in the meantime, perhaps we shouldn't underestimate the uh, value of a dirty beer a nice coffee doesn't have to be a dirty coffee before we have to get back to work i do have mm -hmm. a drink related anecdote oh, for you that's rather an unpleasant end but let's stick with it um, <laughs> the drink that i missed most when i was at sea was milk mm. you just couldn't get any nice milk you know fresh oh, milk yeah. and the taste and drinking that bloody long life stuff and all the rest of it anyway so you went to yeah yeah oh, it's dreadful so I really missed milk so much. And we went into Bermuda. We'd been at sea laying cable for, I think we were out for about 50 days straight. And then we got in and there was a little shop by the gate where the ship was. And I just, every day I was going down, I was drinking litres and litres of milk to the extent that when I visited the toilet, um, I remember the old Labrador white poo that you used to have in the 70s. No, Stephen. I drank so much milk, it turned oh. my poo white. There you oh. go. Hello, everyone. Oh. <laughs> have that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we can top that. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I'll never look at the Milky Bar kid the same. <laughs> yeah. So I, think we should, I think we should call Steve the Milky Bar kid. And then we'll like, yeah. <laughs> Stephen, I can't believe you shared that. Oh. There's only millions listening. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Has anyone else got a, a little confession or um, bodily excretion uh, they'd like to share before we leave? No, but I think it should be a topic in the pod going forward <laughs> yeah. that we should have a little, a little, a little confession. Louise's confession, five minutes. Oh my god! There, there yeah. are, there are, there are those out there who say we don't talk about poo enough. So you know, maybe <laughs> Indeed. You know, for, for, yeah. so, um, so maybe we should. I don't know, but uh, but that was the story I could have probably done without. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we we Mike? I know we haven't got much time now before we go back to work. But what's what's caught everyone's eye these uh, since we last spoke? The U.S. president blames nine shipping lines for the cost of living increases. Oh, 
Wow. Yeah, was, I, I sent the video to Mike late last night. Um, Does he I, really, I, or is someone just twisting his words? No, slightly? no, he stood, he stood up and said it. I, I, I think we, we've covered it in the, the market analysis before, the, the Fed, and back, this, is, this goes back to that, can you make too much money? And, and Stu right. said, no, you can't make too much money. And the, the president of the United States said, yes, you bloody well can. Because uh, although the Federal Maritime Commission has not found any evidence of wrongdoing amongst the shipping lines, the, the fact remains that they have made an enormous amount of money mm. at a time when supply chain has been okay. terribly bad and rubbish. And it, but it's all, you know, shipping's a perfect market and supply and demand and all the rest of it. And the fact is, that what's happened is people have been willing to pay more to get, have a better chance of their stuff getting where it's supposed yeah. to go when it's supposed to get there. And it's all been rubbish. I mean, the performance has been the on-time arrivals for deliveries is down at something like 40%. It's just totally awful. But 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 the, but the, but the, the president looking for somebody to point the finger at has turned around and said nine shipping lines are responsible for the cost of living crisis in the United States. He did also blame the um, pedal clips on his bike for falling off. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is a nice segue into what I, I, you know, I don't think it needs me to tell all the millions of listeners. It, it, you add all of this up together and we've talked about interest rates, uh, cost of utilities going up, supply chains, cost of living and everything. It, 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 you don't need to be an economist to know that we are now moving into superinflation and just recorded our first in, uh, highest uh, recorded inflation for 40 years. Mm -hmm. 2023 doesn't look like the year we want to rush towards. But on a lighter note, Please. my new Starlink dish has arrived. Oh, oh God! <laughs> I knew we were going to get musky in this. I knew it was going to happen. Come on, Elon is back. <laughs> well, you know, I don't, I don't get paid for this endorsement. Not yeah, yet, right. anyway. But... Uh, obviously, we certainly don't. Successful, uh, a successful launch uh, on my mother's uh, house. So that's been there for a year. He's now just launched the mini-sized dish, and this comes with roaming. So I thought it was an opportunity to get the Starlink, get even faster broadband, and be able to take it with me wherever I go around the country on holidays. And nothing worse than getting to your nice cottage or gîte in France to really that the internet is actually barbed wire so this is this is perfect little self indulgent present and i'm going to put it up this afternoon i'm going to dress up as sergeant pepper in preparation for paul mccartney on the center stage at glastonbury with a pina colada in my hand oh my god this sounds like a perfect <laughs> friday afternoon to me <laughs> I wish you didn't live so far away from me, Stu. I'd be down now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Amazing. Right. I think Smoko is um is basically over. Back to Stu work, needs to everyone. go and mix his cocktails. <laughs> Starlink up. The rest of us need to go back to work. Right. See you later, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Take bye. care, everyone. Bye. 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 bye.